welcome, Legionaries, to episode 10 of Legion Cast. This is our third hobby roundtable. I am Work. Joining me is my co host, Brandon, our friends, Maniple and Paul. And we're here to talk about a couple different subjects. Brandon has a heresy event he wants to go over. We're going to do our Christmas gift exchange. So, Merry Christmas, everyone. We're going to be talking about the new uh, Warhammer show led by Henry Cavill. We're all excited about that, kind of. And we've got a discussion on the end about what is canon, and I think that's going to be a pretty fun discussion to get into. So take it away, Brandon. Welcome, Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me, God Emperor Cavill. Welcome to Legion Cast. I know you listen to this show, Henry, and I appreciate it. It's good to be here again, guys. Maniple here. Greetings to all my fellow Longbeards. Keep your grudges. And Paul, bringing up the rear. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Always a pleasure to have the two of you. Yeah, we're definitely glad that you guys have uh, been so cool about joining us on this. And uh, it's really fun to get into the uh, different uh, nuances and chunk of the hobby. So I'm looking forward to this episode. So, Brandon, you want to get into this heresy event you attended? Tell us all about it. Well, hold on. Let's talk about what we're drinking first. So I'll start. I am drinking the Nectar of the Lord, which is Lagavulin 16. Manipole, what about you? Oh, that sounds very nice. Is it smoky? Oh, yes. It's it's quite delicious. So uh, this week I got to go up to the Potosi Beer Museum in Potosi, Wisconsin, tour the museum and a few new displays up there. I also stopped by the gift shop where they had their um, big bottles of their more expensive brews uh, just for 10 bucks. And I'm now drinking the Inner Sanctum. Brandy Barrel Aged Belgian Quad, which is, I think, 11% alcohol. Let me see here. It's I've good. had that. I had that one year when I visited for Christmas, and that was it's so good. Yeah, 10.5. It's tasty. Well, I had a cold this week, so I went and picked up the best cold medicine I knew, whiskey. And right now I'm drinking a Manhattan made with uh, Iowa corn whiskey which is, it's my favorite whiskey ever. I love corn whiskey. Can't can't really explain it, but uh, this is just Iowish whiskey with a uh, little bit of uh, sweet vermouth, bitters, and a cherry. Yeah, it's nice to see you actually show up to our happy hour with a drink for a change. I am a terrible drunk, be thankful. And I'm just rocking my standard gin and juice. <laughs> All right, Snoop. Just going with my daily driver. Fantastic. Well, yeah. So now that we all have our drinks in hand, I, I'd love to go over this event that I, I went to. I was invited to a small narrative event in uh, at uh, the Sci-Fi Factory in Keller here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, by some of the guys in the North Texas Heresy Discord, who I want to shout out. Uh, you guys are great, and it was a great event. Uh, it ended up being a two-game event, uh, really laid back and a lot of fun. I was worried it was going to be kind of tournament style, which is just not what I'm interested in for Heresy, uh, but it really was not that at all. It was just about, hey, we're here to roll some dice, have some good times, have some laughs, and that's what we did. Um, so like I said, I played two games. We got split up as loyalists versus traitors, Um but there ended up being five uh, loyalists and three traitors. 
So I volunteered to go over to the trader side since I'm playing Dark Angels and I really don't know what I am anyway. <laughs> so I ended up it, it ended up being a mirror match though that I play I played Dark Angels um, my first round. Um, so I was running uh, the Lion who we were trying to figure out if he was Alpharius or not. And then uh, he took, you know, a retinue of five Deathwing companions along with, I took 10 Dreadwing interrupters. Uh, those two squads were both in uh, Land Raiders. I took a Contemptor Dreadnought with Laz Cannon, a Leviathan Dreadnought with, uh, with a Melta Lance, and then two squads of 18 uh, tactical Marines with apothecaries. Um, and then, oh, and then five inner circle knights with a paladin and a librarian. He took, uh, he ended up running an all Deathwing list. So he had Corswain with 10 Deathwing companions. And then he had 10 uh, Death inner circle knights with the, uh, with a banner guy. Uh, with the Banner Centurion. And then he had a unit of 10 Cataphracty Terminators and a unit of 5 Cataphracty Terminators. And they were all in Land Raiders. He had two Proteus and two Spartans. So we ended up, uh, we started up our our turns. Oh, and then the unique thing about this event was that uh, we each took a Remembrancer with us. And the Remembrancer was an independent character um, who couldn't join squads. Um, and the idea was that when the Remembrancer witnessed an act from your Legion, uh, they could record it, which got you victory points. Um, so if you destroyed a unit in melee, you got two victory points. If you destroyed a unit in shooting, you got one victory point. And I believe if you got one in a challenge, if you killed someone in a challenge, you got three, but those victory points only capped out at five. So the, the scenario you were playing still mattered. Well, what ended up happening was uh, we we got it together in the middle of the board here, and uh, he had charged the lion and my five Deathwing companions. I, at first, I charged his unit of five Terminators and absolutely rinsed them. The lion just was like, went through them like they weren't even there. And then he charged me with Corswain and his ten Deathwing companions and his five Deathwing, er, and his five no, sorry, 10 Cataphracty Terminators. And then his Inner Circle Knights got into combat with my Inner Circle Knights. Well, what ended up happening was the Lion held out long enough for my two Dreadnoughts to move up on those two squads of nasty dudes. And the Lion gives the entire army Crusader. So when you're rolling a sweeping advance, you roll two dice and pick the highest. So in one round, he ended up, he killed off, in the first round of combat, he killed off four of my five Deathwing companions and only the guy in the challenge was left. And then in the second round, he put one wound on the lion and I did a bunch of wounds to him. So he ended up, I, I caught Corswain and sweeping advanced his Deathwing companions and Corswain with the lion. And then my Contemptor Dreadnought caught those Cataphracty Terminators and sweeping advanced those guys. So there was half his army gone right there. Oh, that's brutal. And then, yeah, yeah, it was vicious. And then they just moved over and took out our Inner Circle Knights. My Inner Circle Knights, I only had five versus his ten. 
but I ended up holding the line pretty well because of my librar- librarian giving me toughness five. So they were able to just delay long enough for the lion to go over and clean up. Um, so at that point, I had blown up two of his land raiders. Uh, he had one left and one that, uh, and he had one Proteus left and one Spartan that was immobilized. Um, so we went ahead and called it there because um, he had no line left either to take the objectives. And I had two, I had my two tactical squads just sitting on objectives. So I, I had told them, you know, unless I roll no points for either of these, in which case we would draw, uh, I, I, I'm going to win. But he was like, I, we don't even need to roll it. I'm good to call it a victory. So that was, that was the first victory there. And because I won and I proved that I was in fact not Altharius, I switched over to the loyalist side and he became the traitor. <laughs> so uh, in the second game, I matched up uh, against a gentleman playing word bearers. Real quick. Can you tell us a little bit about what Corswain does? Is he a new release? Yeah. So, so Corswain is, uh, he's a dark angels named character. Uh, his model did just come out from forge world recently. I have it sitting in my closet. I have not put it together yet. Uh, but he's he's really like a duelist type character. He's got like weapon skill seven. He gets a three up invulnerable save in close combat. Um, when he fights in a challenge, he goes to initiative seven. Uh, so he he's really he's really wanting to get one on one fights going on. So second round, I I matched up against a gentleman named Martin Emery, who uh, some of our listeners might know as the host of God Engine Cast. Uh, so shout out to you, Martin. Um, I know he powered through all of our episodes listening after our game, um, gave me some great feedback, and we really appreciate it. Uh, but he was playing word bearers, and he had asked me not to bring the lion because he did not bring a Primarch. I had prepared two lists um, in the situation. So uh, I was going to ask you about the, the the list making thing you had mentioned to me, where you had to bring two lists. And I, I know you're just getting into that, but what were the the rules and uh, I guess the parameters for bringing uh, a Primark to this tournament? Yeah, so there, there wasn't really. I don't want to call it a hard and fast rule, but it was asked. It was requested of people who wanted to bring Primarks to also prepare a list that didn't have a Primarch in it um, and to allow your opponent to pick whether or not they wanted to face the Primarch. Now, in my first game, um, he did say, he said, bring the lion, let's do it. Honestly, that that's what ended up winning me the game. Um, we were joking. Uh, there, was a, there was a new guy in, in our Discord server talking about wanting to play Dark Angels, and he was joking um, that he should ask me since I just schooled him. And I was like, ah, no, the lion schooled you. I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) But uh, no, so the the request was to bring two lists if you wanted to bring a Primark, one with uh, your Primark and one without. So I I obviously, I brought my list with the lion um, and then I brought a Dreadwing list without the lion. And in my second game, my opponent asked me to not bring a Primarch, which I obliged. I, I brought uh, I brought Marduk Cedrus with his um, retinue of Inner Circle Knights in a Spartan with attached Librarian as well. And then I brought two units of five Dreadwing Interrupters in Proteus dedicated transports. And then a 
three units of 10 tactical Marines. Uh, two of them had Rhino transports. One did not. Uh, one, because I didn't have the points, and two, because I didn't have the third Rhino. Uh, and then I brought two Contemptors with Laz Cannons and Power Fists, and one Leviathan Dread with uh, with the, the Melta Lance. So Marduk Cedrus's thing is that when you deploy him on the battlefield, anybody, once the game starts, anybody within six inches of him or his transport gains preferred enemy whatever you want. Um, and the idea being, the lore behind this guy is that he is the oldest serving space marine in the Imperium, um, and he's destroyed more planets than any other Eschaton in the Dreadwing, uh, which is a big deal, because that's their that is their shtick. Uh, so what he does is, before every game, he gathers all the young whippersnappers around and tells a story about the last time he tuned up whatever this person was. So we, I deployed in, you know, the standard parking lot formation. And he said, gather in everyone. I'd like to tell you about the last time I toy, I tuned up these word bearer soy boys. And I got preferred enemy across the entire army, which preferred enemy, if you're not aware, is you reroll ones to hit and ones to wound. So pretty big deal. Uh, he had brought a unit of Cataphracty Terminators with a Praetor in a Spartan. And then he had also brought 10 Despoilers in a Land Raider with, uh, I think, with one of, one of the Word Bearers Centurions. Uh, he had also brought a couple of Tactical Squads, um, a couple of Dreadnoughts, and um, what else? Oh, a, uh, a 10-man Melta support squad. So, and, and then five recon Marines as well. So we ended up trading back and forth. Um, I actually forgot to use Preferred Enemy in the first two rounds of shooting, uh, which kind of was a big deal. I think he, I probably, I did not destroy his Spartan by the end of the game, which I think I probably would have if I had been able to, if I had been able to remember that, but um, we were talking and he, he looked at my army and he's like, I don't understand how you have so much more stuff than me. Um, and I had asked him cause he had told me all of his units are corrupted. The, you know, the word bearers have those corrupted units. I guess he's got to pay points for that. Well, we found out why, and that's because their buffs just start to cascade after a while they get really nasty so you know he you know we talked about i was like i was able to bring more stuff to the table but you just had a lot more gas in the tank for each of your individual units um now i ended up uh pulling out the win just barely um and what it boiled down to honestly was i forgot to use my preferred enemy for two turns and he forgot to use his advanced reaction which for the word bearers is instead of taking damage from a shooting attack, he can just pop one guy and then the attack is over. Um, so when he blew up my land Raider with uh, his 10 man Melta squad and three of my Dreadwing interrupters made it out and three dread Dreadwing interrupters torched a Centurion and, and 10 uh, Melta boys he he was pretty upset that he had forgotten to do that. 
um, which I don't I don't blame him. But that just again, I was talking to to the other guy playing Dark Angels there, and he was like, you know, I've just never really gotten the Dreadwing Interruptors. I'm like, man, they're my MVP every game. So it ended up being a a victory by about one point for me. Um, and that was the end of the day. But like I said, I had an absolute blast and uh, shout out to those guys. And it goes to show the level of complexity in this game. You have a lot of different rules and things to maintain and keep fresh in your head. So I think when uh, Warwick and I were playing, I had to make a cheat card to remind myself of all the things I had to do during the game. And I still kept forgetting stuff because modern 40K is very much about just get guys on the table, play, roll some dice, have some fun. This one is much more like a Swiss watch where you get every little piece has to work together. You got to remember all your rules. And I like that aspect of it. But at the end of the game, when it's over, you look back and think of all the shouldas. Oh, 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 I forgot that. Should have done it. Forgot. And yeah, it can come down to just one point. Yeah. And you know, that's, uh, that's how it ends up going. And I, I, I don't feel bad about it. And I know, I know Martin doesn't feel bad about it either. Um, Again, like I said, I forgot my preferred enemy. I probably would have taken some things off the board that were still there at the end of the game if I had remembered that. And his Melta squad might have might have lived an extra turn, if not for uh, for that as well. But like I said, it was it was a I had an absolute blast. It was a ton of fun. I have never had a dreadnought go down so fast as it did against Wordbearers. He just opened it up like a tin can. I was like, wow, this feels like old dreadnoughts when that happened all the time. <laughs> that's, that's scary when that happens. I'm yeah. Not a fan of that. Yeah. And you know, word to the wise out there, if you're playing word bearers and he says, that's my target for ritual sacrifice, just run that unit to the other side of the board. Like, do make, not make let him them chase get you. To that. Like, don't even let, yeah, don't make it easy. Well, that's, that's what won me the game was he did that to, he, so he picked a, a dreadnought, but I was like, whatever, it's a dreadnought. I'm going to, I'm going to be fine. And I didn't know what it did either. So he opened that dreadnought up and he bumped his guys up to like, you know, his regular terminators are sitting at like weapon skill six now with strength six, all, all kinds of crazy crap. And then he goes, okay, now I'm going to pick that rhino. And I was like, okay, that rhino is about to hightail it out of here. And I just flat out that rhino across to the other side of the board where he had nothing, nothing over there. And uh, so he wasn't able to stack more of those buffs. But man, I'll tell you what, word bearers like, yeah, I, it really opened my eyes on them. They are some scary dudes. That's pretty funny to me because the way I understand it, Lorgar is like the one of the uh, probably least liked or well, I guess how do I, I don't want to say this like points for points. He's like the worst Primark in the game. But uh, their their buffs stack so efficiently that it makes him kind of a badass, right? Yeah, my understanding on Lorgar is that he's a pure synergy piece. Uh, Paul, you, I think you were about to elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, it's when people are talking about Lorgar's point for point, they're usually talking about his combat capacity, which Lorgar is definitely one of the weakest Primarchs. But what he brings to the table instead of combat potential is he really just provides a lot for the word bearers army in terms of what they can do by adding a lot of extra utility to them. Um, and the word bearers in general, I think Legion wise, they're generally weaker, but they make up for it with the corruption and all the chaos stuff. Um, 
like we were talking earlier, Brandon, I was surprised he didn't bring any Galvor back or the Maragall Dreadnought because that seems to be the go-to for them. Yeah, no Galvor back. That's uh, what I was really expecting. But no, he brought uh, he brought just a lot of kind of basic units, but added the corruption feature. And then he brought a lot of characters and threw murder swords on them. Um, and those murder swords are pretty gross. Um, but like I said, it was a ton of fun. And I, one more time, I want to shout out God Engine Cast. Um, if you're into Adeptus Titanicus at all, go give go give his podcast a listen. It's it's a good stuff. Um, he uh, he did a Legion focus on my Legion, the Murder Lords, uh, which is what I used to propel myself to victory last January in our Ed Texas Titanicus group gathering uh so again shout out to him yeah or if we go down there again for another texas titanicus is he gonna play with us yeah it's a possibility yeah so that was my uh that was the event and uh like i said had a had a really great time looking forward to playing with all those guys again uh but let's get to uh kind of the meat of the episode here which is our christmas exchange oh boy 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 yeah, okay, Warwick, right. you want to take us away here? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so my secret Santa gift is from my brother Mample, and he got me this awesome little uh, objective marker. He 3D printed it himself. It, no, that was, from our up. Friend, that was from our friend JC. Oh, that is a terrible okay. print. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to roast you for how liney it is. No, <laughs> that is not mine. I, I like it, though. It's very in theme. Um, what it's and then supposed to be? A, no, it's a picture of one that's being broadcast by a servo skull. That's why it's. Grainy. Oh, that's why it's so grainy. It's like a right. naturally out of focus monster. Yes. It's a, uh, and then as a side piece, it's a little extra that Maniple threw in on the side. He gave me this awesome uh, Legion uh, Praetor. Well, it's the Praetor base, but he wrote up some lore as a um, centurion. A uh, um, I have Armistose. Armistose. And this guy's name is Andros Venator. Uh, yeah, he is a Legion Centurion Armatos, and he's got a uh, master crafted Volkite Culverin and an Augurum pan- uh, pattern boarding shield. He comes with the Augury scanner, the Cognus Signum, and a, the, like I said, the master crafted uh, Volkite, which the Volkites, I think, have won me a couple of games already just for how nasty they can be on the tabletop. I'm a real big fan of that deflagrate rule. It just got to keep stacking wounds. I, I find that's where I get um, the most of my kills is just being able to add additional wounds or reroll wounds like with the lightning claws or the chain bayonets. And that makes me super happy. Maniple, this is an awesome model. I see how much work you put into this. I love the cape. It looks so freaking cool. You even got the, the stripes in the... Um, the uh, the crest on the helmet, it yeah, looks I'll, so freaking awesome. I'll post a few more pictures. Now his Volkite, I only pinned in. If you twist it, you can pull it out. You can give him a oh. thunder hammer or something instead. Oh hell yeah, that's awesome. So then you could just take take that as a boarding shield and a close combat weapon. And yeah, take him as, I, as something else. I was thinking about that because I've got all the uh, the boarding guys. I've, I've got all the uh, the the guys with the boarding shields and the swords. I need to get a whole bunch of them put together so I can do the uh, like the boarding action games. Right. 
so it it looks fantastic in in the camera and i'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing pictures of it uh, in a bit but manipul i i'd love to hear from you kind of take us through what so what kind of inspired you to, to pick this out and make uh this conversion and then take us through your hobby process here let's see let me let me post a few pictures while i'm doing this i'm just put it on general here while i'm talking um i knew that um warwick you were already running the master signal the master signals right Correct, because you need to run one for the Ultramarines Rite of War. And so that guy um, has kind of all the communication stuff already, but I was, but I was thought, well, you know, what he really needs is something that he could use to center that line of Volkites, because you you run, um, a, is it a support squad or a heavy support squad? It's the tactical support oh. squad, yeah. The, the, and that support squad is was really good. And what he does is with that, I think I, I wrote out all the abilities he has because as an armistice with that gear, he's got a bunch of extra stuff he can do. He can decide not to shoot and instead give his whole squad um, better ballistic skill, I think, or plus one to hit, which is pretty effective, especially when you're rolling a big, a big squad of those guys. I thought that could really be a nice way to use him. He can also run you know, himself as just kind of a solo sniper. You want him to go hunt, you know, you know, a special character, or or um, a light tank. He could probably do something like that. So I had a bunch of bits from other other kits. Like you know, I think we probably all have a bunch of Praetors sitting around. We're not quite sure what to do with. And I and I'd looked because that that model I used is one with the guy holding the big axe in front of him. I thought, well, those two arms are far enough apart where you could put other stuff in there. Some of the other ones where the arms are way far apart, you can only do one thing with them. But with that, I thought, well, I could give him a shield in one hand. And I did have a shield from a, a bits buy that I made. And I had the heavy, heavy support box. I thought, well, let's give him that gun and a shield. Then I realized that even though you can give the, 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 the Praetor and the, the console, a boarding shield or a combat shield, the invulnerable save is not better than the one he just gets with his Rosarius. So that's why I upgraded that one to the ultramarine pattern, the Agrillium, because that in close combat does give you a better invulnerable save. That's why then if you run him in a, a close combat squad, you know, doing a boarding action, then it might actually come into use. Otherwise, you just have your choice of a five up invulnerable save. But it just, the model looked cool, and I wanted to do some freehand painting. So basically, I I got the the bits kind of fished together. I had a I had a head from another kit, and I painted a thirteen on his banner top, and then I did the ultramarine symbol on the shield, and then I just went through and it, I I did a lot of the kind of introductory work on it. And I thought, okay, I'm pretty much done. And then I took a picture of it, which you guys all got a chuckle out of, because as soon as you take a picture of it, you pick the paintbrush up again and go right back because the camera reveals everything. I'm like, ah, I'm not even close to being done. The camera is so, your worst critic. Yeah. So I went back through and he actually has a I did a purple base coat because some of the ultra models in the book are a lot more purple. And then I tried to bring that up through some blues and some different inks. I almost went back and did a purple wash on him at the end, but it just wasn't quite right because I know how your other guys look already, and they're very blue. I did a little bit of stippling with a, a highlight on it, so it looked a little bit more like a grainy 
pattern, like more like marble. And then I just went through into the detail work. That shield took a long time, but I found if I could kind of block in the, not the shield, the, um, the cape, if I could block in some of those lines and then do an ink wash that filled in the parts that were not, not quite as good. So just get a little by little, just being patient, worked up the details I wanted. And then it ended up looking a little kind of rough and ready. It looks a little bit worn, doesn't it? Yeah. So my, um, my guys are primarily Kalth veterans or survivors of the ambush at Kalth. So uh, having kind of the grungy or worn look is, is exactly what I'm going for. This is so in theme with my, uh, my current army. I absolutely love it. This looks so awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I had that, um, that 3D printed bit that was just for some terrain. And I, I thought at first I was going to put a, uh, oh yeah, I was going to just put a little, computer screen on the top of his shield, but I thought it really wouldn't pop very much. And I had that little computer sitting around. And I thought, oh, I'll just paint that up. And as soon as I started painting it, I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> and, and cause his, his 3d printer is really way off this guy I got it from. And so I did the best I could. And I thought, well, you can just use that as a little marker or something, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of neat. It just makes it kind of characterful. So I had a, a good time painting it. I hadn't done blue and gold in a long time. So I enjoyed the process. Yeah, thank you so much, Manipal. It, it looks so good. I really like it. You know, thank you. And then I just posted three pictures for you guys on the Discord. Did you see it? Yeah, they look fan. They look fantastic. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, thanks for letting us know how that how that went down. And then let's jump right to you here. So, unfortunately, due to everybody's favorite, the post office, the beacon of efficiency in America. Uh, the manipul's present has not quite arrived yet so we're doing a picture reveal um for that um and manipul you were your your name was drawn by paul um and he's posted some pictures in our discord um yeah that looks great oh yeah paul i love it that's amazing well thanks i I mean the post office has their their blame for sure but a lot of it is i finished this probably last out of everybody so it, it definitely went out a lot later than it should have. <laughs> How did you do that? That the color that looks great. So that is the Achillean green contrast paint over uh, three types of silver. Yeah. So I guess the basic rundown on it is well, re- real quick. Tell us. Tell us what we're looking at here. Um, oh, okay. For, so for it's the it's the Age of Darkness Praetor, the one that comes in the starter box set. Uh, it's the one with the beaky helmet, as opposed to the one that looks a bit more Sons of Horus. Um, I didn't do any conversions with it. I kind of ran out of time. But, uh, yep, so I just tried to focus on doing a good paint scheme on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, time-wise, I kind of got thrown for a loop when we first did this. I drew Maniple, and I was like, cool, Alpha Legion. That's awesome. I already have some ideas. I think it's a cool paint scheme. I'm good to go. Um, but just kind of like get a feel for what everyone was feeling. I'd posted in our group chat like, hey, does anyone have any particular items they're looking for or something they want? And Manipal said he wanted Death Guard. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know anything about Death Guard. <laughs> so I spent a good two weeks trying to research Death Guard before I finally was like, I can't figure this out. I'm giving up. I'm going back to Alpha Legion. <laughs> oh, That's great. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So, 
the other thing that kind of really messed me up was I tried green stuff molding scales on the model. Uh, you'll see it a lot in like the Forge World Alpha Legion. A lot of like the armor panels have like what look to be some sort of like lizard or dragon's hydra scales. Um, and so I was following a couple of YouTube tutorials and trying it out and it, it did not go well. Um, but kind of in the 11th hour, I found a tutorial by Juan Hidalgo where he was hand painting them um, on Alpha Legion. And I really liked the tutorial, so I tried that out and it looks a lot better. The green stuff was, <laughs> it was uh, really tricky to use. So I think it turned out okay. I think his version's a little better because he defines the scales a little differently. Mine ended up looking more almost fish scaly than lizard scaly, but they get the job done. Um, but yeah, in terms of colors, it's uh, yeah, just a Kellyan green over uh, a Zenithal highlight. So it starts with a lead belcher base, and then the high points are hit with Iron Breaker, the low points are hit with Iron Warrior. Um, and then the contrast goes over that. The actual okay, scales. So, oh yeah, go ahead. So listeners, when I first looked at it, I thought that you were using a sculpted piece to get those scales out, but you you hand painted those. Yeah, that's they hand painted. Yeah, they look amazing. Yeah, I, Maniples, he sent me some work in progress pictures of these things, and he had told me about how he was having trouble with these green stuff scales. And my first response to him was, "Oh, I see you figured out the green stuff." He's like, <laughs> "Nope, that was freehand." I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, <laughs> they look. Yeah, good. that. That looks so awesome. I can't believe that that's freehand. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, credit goes to Juan Hidalgo. I mean, he's a master painter, so I definitely took a page out of his book. It's actually a lot easier than you'd think. Um, so how you do it functionally is you put down your silver base, and then you take black contrast, uh, the black Templar contrast, and you just draw the diamonds in, just cross hatch across the armor panel. And then it's... Uh, you shade in the top of the scale with a darker, like a black wash kind of color. Um, and then the bottom you hit with a light silver, and then you put the contrast over it, and it gives you that 3D effect of the scale shining. Um, and then the last step is you just come in on the bottom, and you put in just a little streak of silver on the bottom of each scale to give it that layer. So it, it was actually a lot easier than I thought it would, uh, than it'd be. And it, it does look pretty good. Yeah, turned out great. I can't yeah. wait to see it. Yep. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, walking us through that, Paul. Um, and since since you just did that, I, I will say that I had you as, uh, as mine, which we will also be doing a picture reveal. Um, no blame on the post office this time. It's just I didn't want to drive halfway across the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex to hand you one mini when you were going to be at my house in two days anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what, what I did for you, I, I posted the pictures. Uh, I know I'd already sent them to you, but I posted those in hobby chat for everyone else to see. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I had some trouble uh, figuring out what I, what I was going to get you when I pulled your name. Um, because I knew you, you had picked out sons of Horus and then you had already written down a list and you were very clear on like, this is the list I'm sticking to. I don't really care if it's good or not. Um, I'll, I'll make adjustments as I go, but I want to build this out first. So I didn't really want to get you something you weren't going to use. Um, my next initial thought was, well, maybe I could get you Horus, but I didn't want to paint that. Not going to lie. 
so I, I I thought to myself, well, what can I get you that that would be of value? Well, you run all those veteran squads, um, and you know they they could be pretty decked out with heraldry and stuff. So I was like, well, I'll get you I'll get you the Forge World Praetor, um, which is what I got, the Sons of Horus Forge World Praetor, and. You know, while you're not really looking for a Praetor, I thought potentially, you know, this could be one of your your veteran squad sergeants, something like that, uh, something that could make its way just to stand out a little bit, help make a squad pop, something like that. Um, I, I was really worried because uh, I had never done anything like these colors before, and all the tutorials I found, I really didn't like. So I, I tried something different here. I... As I have said uh, about a month ago at this point, I, I won that Pro Acryl base set and it had a really cool jade in it. So I got, I tried that and I grabbed some of their light jade as well. Um, and what I did was I, I painted the whole model with, with the base jade. Um, and then I did a kind of directional dry brush of the light jade. And then I washed it all with um, contrast pterodon turquoise, really thinned out with contrast medium, about five to one. Um, and that's that's what the what the armor is. And then I used uh, I used my my gold recipe. It's actually Vince Venturella's gold recipe with Vallejo metal color. And then the cloak is is just a maroon, um, with some of the uh, the details picked out. But uh, overall, I'm pretty happy with how, how it turned out. I think it came out pretty well. I hope you enjoy it um, as well. Yeah, I really do. That's actually, that Praetor in particular is probably my favorite Sons of Horus Forge World sculpt. Um, but I wasn't planning on buying it because I didn't have a place in my army. I just wanted it. So I was like, well, you know, someday. And well, now I have it. So that solves that problem. <laughs> so what, thanks, what is man. That, what is that gun he has? It's a Volkite. Um, I think it's a Volkite Serpenta. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, it was actually a lot of fun to work on, and I actually really fell in love with that kind of jade sea green color. Yeah. And I was like, dang, if you weren't playing Sons of Horus, maybe I'd do it myself. But uh, I, I'm pretty happy with how it came out, and hopefully, you'll you'll find a place to put them in your army as well. Oh, yeah. The one thing that I kind of regret, and I did not have the bravery to, he's got some like raised edges on his cloak on the back. And I, I should have painted him gold, but I just didn't have the courage to go back for the hours of touch up that that was going to take. So I took the coward's way out and just highlighted him like they're part of the red. Yeah, it works. Yeah, I think yeah. it's great. Yeah, I think that looks awesome, dude. What else do you think you could apply that uh, that same green to? If like any of your other stuff uh, with all the other games you play, Brandon, what would you apply that to? You know, I I don't know off the top of my head, honestly, but I do want to find a place for it because I actually really like that color, Eldar, definitely. Yeah, I've been there. I know yeah. exactly how you feel. Yeah, if if I had Eldar, uh, you know, that would be a, that'd be a good pick uh, for them. Or what about those undersea elves in the first Age of Sigmar? I don't have them. But, well, but they, yeah. I mean, it would work. So, Brandon, what did you get? All right, I got a Demos Pattern Predator Support Tank. 
Nice. And what is so awesome about this one is that it is entirely magnetized for the main gun, which I, I think is fantastic. I magnetized so much shit on that thing, I almost put myself out of my misery. I spent way too long trying to figure out magnets on that stupid thing until finally I remembered that magnets don't just stick to other magnets. They also stick to just pieces of metal. So, while there are magnets inside the turret housing on that thing, I ended up filing down that uh, there's like a notch on the inside of the, the turret that, uh, that the, the guns slot onto. I filed out a piece of that and just put in like a clip of uh, a small clip of metal I had to file down into that slot. And so it's not actually magnetized on the inside. It's just sticking to a piece of metal. And that took me like two days to figure out, folks. That's how retarded I am. So I, I magnetized uh, all three of the interchangeable pieces on the back, like the different power packs or like ventilation systems that go on there. And then the, um, the multi-melta and the plasma gun use the same cowling on the front of the tur turret. So that's actually magnetized two different ways. So you can swap out the multi-melta and the uh, plasma executioner. And then it's also got the neutron blaster, the, um, the flamestorm cannon and the graviton. Uh, I think that's the graviton cannon, graviton gun, whatever it's called. Um, I was thinking about magnetizing the sponsons, but, um, I got to looking at it, and it looked like it was going to be so much work, I wasn't going to get it done on time. So I panicked and just glued them in and called it good. And then uh, I I went through and did like a lot of edge highlighting. I'm not a big fan of that. I tend to, um, like on my own stuff, I tend to dry brush uh, where possible, just because for me it's faster and easier. I find the tedium of edge highlighting to be just too exhausting. I, I just... Do not, do not like it. Oh, dude, but it was worth it. This is the cleanest black model I've ever seen you make. It looks great. Thanks. Yeah. You know, I'm like a... the, the mud splash on the front, the white lines on the armor make it look awesome. Yeah, I actually used the Mechanicus standard gray for the edge highlights, which shout out to that. That is my favorite gray now of, of all the grays I've used over the past few years. The Mechanicus standard gray is like the all comer. It is the best. Um, I went with the, um, yeah, as I have moved away from Citadel paints due to their issues with keeping them in stock, uh, that is the one that I have not been able to find a good, uh, that and corn red. Those are the two paints that I just cannot find a alternative brand that I like. So I don't know if privateer press still makes it, but the P3 paints used to have, it was like great coat gray or something like that. It was very close to the Mechanicus Gray. It's a little bluer, or it used to be. I don't know if they still make it. I haven't used P3 paints in years. Yeah, but, I, um, know, it, I know Duncan's Too Thin Coats line is basically just taking all the most popular GW paints, improving the viscosity, and putting them in dropper bottles. And I'm here for it. As soon as those things hit the shelf, I'll be all over that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. We, we should maybe talk about that in the next uh, Hobby Roundtable. But um, I also did the, um, so I went with like the clean black look because this is the first Legion, baby. Pride is everything. Even like in a, in a way that is um, 
so much more ingrained in them than the the emperor's children because where the well the emperor's children do it in a very vain way the uh the first legion the dark angels do it in a way that's like all based on conviction we keep our model or we keep our tanks you know as spick and span as possible because we are the best it is there's no doubt about it uh, so I went with the, the clean look, but, you know, when you're out in the field, if there's no helping it, um, I went with like a bunch of um, like mud and junk on the on the tread. So it looks like uh, mud has splashed up along the side. And I did that with just um, a couple layers of kind of stippling and dry brushing. Um, I actually used the the GW or the Citadel uh, texture paint. I can't remember which one it's called, but it's like the the, the mud field. Uh, so I went over that so that you got like some grit in there as well. So it actually looks like you drove through the mud. And then I just went over it with a couple different shades of brown and then some Agrax earth shade and that really blends it together very well. So I'm really happy with how it turned out. Um, painting, uh, black and red is really fun for me because that is my, my 40 K space Marines are black and red as well. So this is a very familiar kind of style for me. Uh, I'm really happy with it. I'm glad you like it. And I went with the the Demos Pattern Rhino because I wanted something that would offer you a lot of flexibility because I know how you are with making your lists. So even this model here kitted out, as expensive as you can make it with whatever attachment you put on there, it is still under 200 points. And with the... Um, the Graviton gun and the last spawn, since you can put the fear of the emperor into a land raider or a Kratos with this, and it's under 200 points. So it's, it's another model on the board that the enemy has to think about and distract them from your inner circle knights or your, um, douche wing interrupters. So, you know, uh, it's, it's just another thing you can throw on the board. It's easy to fit in there and uh, I hope it really works out for you. I, ha I had a lot of fun on this one. I love this kit. This this Demos uh, Pattern Rhino kit is freaking awesome. It comes with so many pieces. It's good to put together. It's easy to put together. And it's so much easier than the, the 40K Rhinos. I freaking hate those 40K Rhinos because they, the lines on them suck. They never go together right. The doors don't shut. They're awful models. But this thing is freaking awesome. I, I got to recommend them to anybody that that's looking for another tank to add to their list. This is, this is pretty worth it. Yeah. You've, you've already got me thinking about how I could put together a, uh, iron wing list where I could take these guys as troops. Um, but no, it, it, it looks great. Um, I love how you thought about the mentality with the first Legion. Um, it, 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 it speaks to me that you really, you really thought about, you know, the heart and soul of, of what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, the first thing that I saw when I pulled this thing out of the box, I went, damn, that was some edge highlighting there. Because um, not only is everything edge highlighted on there, it's very clean, um, like impressively so. So I, I really want to applaud you for for that. And again, thank you for the gift. Um, I, I do love the thing. It, I will figure out. It, it is a model that I, I am so happy with this thing that even if it's not an optimal choice for me, I will find a way to put it into an army list. Real quick, work. How did you do the black again? Did I miss that? Because it looks very smooth. Yeah. So that is the um, the the GW black primer, and then I just edge highlighted it with the uh, Mechanicus standard gray. So you didn't do a brush coat over the the black. Okay. Ew. Ew. Uh, yeah, that's probably the, actually the, makes a lot of sense. 
the the primer I've had very good luck with the the Citadel Black Primer. A lot of their primers for me, um, like I've got mixed feelings on a lot of the other colors, but the the Lead Belcher and the uh, the uh, Chaos or the is it Chaos Black or Abaddon Black? Can't remember what it is now. Uh, anyway, it works very well for me. So uh, I've had a lot of luck with that, and then you just edge highlight it, and it looks it looks very smooth and amazing. Yeah, it's chaos black for the primer. Yeah, I couldn't remember, but um, yeah, I, I basically do the same thing with my um, my forty k space marines. But instead of the gray edge highlight, I do um, a very light dry brush of like a dark blue, so it looks like obsidian instead of um, uh, instead of the, uh, the the gray black. It's more of a blue black than a gray black. Well, like I said, it, it looks fantastic, and uh, I'm really really excited to get it out on the tabletop uh i think it, did we miss anybody for gift exchange i think that's all of this oh i, I want to make one one more uh point on the um the metal bits that i do this is my favorite way to do steel and brass is um duncan on uh on uh back when he was still with games workshop he did the night tutorial on how to paint knights so the uh, this is my favorite way to do uh, silvers and brass is uh, lead belcher base. You do uh, lead belcher base, but you can also do it on a brass as well. So you do all your your silver bits and your brass bits at the same time, and then you go over everything with nuln oil, and then you do a light dry brush of like Necron compound, and it it makes like all the your deep places look really dark metal. Your high places look like you know very shiny and worn. It's my favorite way to do metals, so that's that's my go-to for um, for a lot of the steel bits that I do. Awesome. Well, should we take a quick break here, guys, and then uh, we'll come back and we'll start talking about God Emperor Cavill? <laughs> Hell yeah! yeah. Let's do it. I'm looking forward right. to it. Thanks, guys. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our Sanguinala gift exchange. I had a lot of fun with it. I hope everyone is happy with their gifts. It sounds like you all are. We all we got some. We all got some really cool stuff. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, but I no, I do have to admonish you though, Warwick. The entire time you were talking about the gift that you got me, you said Demos Pattern Rhino. It's a predator. It's got yes. a big gun on top. Yes, I deserve try, to, try to be, keep up. I deserve to be roasted for that. In fact, I'm a little disappointed that the other two didn't. And, you know, really, I mean, Manipal, you basically do it for a living. So, yes, I do. And make sure you post those pics on Instagram so everybody knows what we're talking about. Uh, I'll do it on Twitter. Instagram is for making TikToks now. You probably don't get that because you're, you know, a long beard, but Instagram is TikTok light. That's why I don't use our Instagram page. You'd think that, like, um, the, the photo posting app would be all about posting photos no it's just tiktoks now that's why i don't use it but anyway to get into the meat of our our third point here our next subject is um there's been huge news in the warhammer cinematic universe area so what we're going to talk about is henry cavill former superman um should have been james bond should have been Hollywood megastar, 
former Geralt of Rivia, is now producing his own Warhammer 40k series. And holy shit, that is amazing news. I can't get over how, like... So, we've had a little bit of cinematic content in the past. Like, one of the first movies that we got was that Ultramarines movie. Manipal, I think you've watched that. Oh, yeah, thumbs down. Throw it in the fucking bin. It is dumb. It was it is, weird. It was awful. Holy shit, none of it was good. Uh, anyway, I digress. Some of the stuff coming out on Remember Warhammer, how that, de- that demon had the little tiny legs when he was yes. jumping around? Yes. Do you remember how the how the the chaplain had like magical stasis powers? Yeah, he had. That's psychic never abilities. fucking happened. <laughs> I'm turning to chat. I got Yeah, they didn't have a chaplain with them. Anyway, bullshit aside, black library stuff aside, black library is in. It should be put in the black library and never found again because that's how the lore works. Anyway, uh, Henry Cavill's producing his own series, and he made a a really compelling post because. There were some big red flags right out of the gate. The primary one being Amazon is developing this or, or they, they're the studio doing this. And after the rings of power, Amazon doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt. You know, it, it, it was thoroughly un- unenjoyable. Um, a lot of the characters were either planks of wood or horrible pieces, like horrible bitches. Like Galadriel is just the worst person I have ever met in that series. Yeah, and uh, first off, I will not allow that show to be called Rings of Power again on this podcast, or I will admonish you. It's the Rings of Prime. Um, Absolutely. It is an absolute travesty. It's an Amazon vessel, not a Tolkien vessel. It is garbage. Uh, But secondly, I I do want to talk about, we have seen really good content out of Amazon Studios. It's really the tale of two studios with these guys. Um, The Expanse... Even I know it wasn't originally theirs, but it was great when after they picked it up as well. Um, the Terminal List, awesome show. Reacher, great show. S- the Rings of Prime, awful. The Wheel of Time, awful. Uh, so it it really just you know this is my thing is it really just depends on you know what Amazon are we going to get here? Are we going to get the Amazon that can put together a really solid strong show? Or are we going to get the Amazon that's all woke garbage? Um, with Henry Cavill at the helm, I'd like to think that we're going to get the former rather than the latter. But I know we, we've all been burned before by these things, and that's why I'm cautiously optimistic. Well, there, there's another piece to that, because the, the studio that's actually doing it is called Vertigo Entertainment. Now, Vertigo is a pretty interesting little group I don't know if you're familiar with with much of their work, but if you pull up their Wikipedia, you look at some of the movies that they've done, like the Lego movie or it, or um, uh, let's see. Oh, the one that really stuck out to me was the woman in black. Do you guys remember? Have you seen the woman in black? Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good movie. Really solid kind of horror movie. If you look at their, the sorts of things they do, it's kind of this like deep psychological horror type stuff that really makes you think. And when you're done watching these movies, you think, oh, I, I got to think about what I just saw. And Especially that is exactly, the Lego movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so because yeah. it has a little darkness to it, which is good. <laughs> yeah. 
So I can't remember um, what exactly her job or her job title or wh who she works for, but Henry Cavill's girlfriend works with one of the um, the agencies that was uh, instrumental in securing the rights to this series. So he's got a lot of personal stake in this because is um, he actually had to disable his uh, Twitter account because he was getting a lot of backlash for his girlfriend. It, the way I understand it, I, I can't be quoted on that, but he's off of some social media because um, he's he's very uh, committed to this girlfriend, and social media didn't like that. That's the that's the takeaway that I have. Um, but um, his he's very serious with this woman anyway, and she was instrumental in getting the rights to this Warhammer series for Amazon. And they made sure, their studio made sure that they had the rights before Amazon was a part of it. So it's their baby, not Amazon's. And I think that's the biggest um, divide. It, like what Brandon said, it's a tale of two studios. What we got from uh, the, the Rings of Prime and Wheel of Time were very Amazon Studio-based. Reacher and the Terminal List were very very much given their own free reign of how the show was made. So if Amazon keeps their fingers out of this pie and lets Cavill do his thing, Cavill's one of the uh, primary producers of this series, I believe, this could be an actual Warhammer series. He made an Instagram post um, like a year and a half ago, I want to say, and he's like he's on his um, his private jet on the way to his next gig, but he's got a stack of books next to him, and top of the stack is Penitent by Dan Abnett. That's the the second book in the Beckwin series. He was reading forty k books right when they came out, on the way to one of his other gigs. This is the same guy who almost missed the callback to play Superman because he was running dungeons in World of Warcraft. The dude is a nerd before he's an actor. Like, there's genuine hope here, people. Um, I, I, I don't want to... Go ahead, Manipal. Well, yeah, and I was kind of thinking about that when I first saw the note that Amazon is going to be in charge of this. And I thought to myself, ah, they're probably going to turn it into some trans fascist dystopia. I'm like, wait, hold on. That actually kind of works. You know, because there, there's, I don't know how you mess up 40K. As long as you put in these bizarre figures and just show them to the world, people can make up their own minds about it. Because the original take on the 40K universe was it was supposed to take the worst parts of like late 1980s Cold War politics and just take them to their most ridiculous end, show them to the people. So the, on one hand, you can look at, at the, the Imperium and say, that is freaking badass and awesome, but I would never want to live there. And if they can sh just show that as, as it is, the horror of it, I'm fine. You don't need to have any other commentary than that because it's a world you could imagine yourself being in, but not wanting to be there. And that's different from Star Wars and Star Trek and every other property. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, it, it's interesting. One, he used a certain phrase, which was Warhammer Cinematic Universe, uh, which I was very interested in. Now, we all know that there are many, many studios that are on the hunt to be the next Marvel Cinematic Universe since they've managed to kill that golden calf uh, in a pretty spectacular fashion. But, um, I, I think that this is the IP that you really can do it. 
you know, Amazon tried to do it with with Middle Earth. Middle Earth is too canonized. Uh, everybody knows exactly, you know, what happened when Tolkien made sure of it. And then on top of that, you didn't get the rights to the stuff that you were trying to make. But I'm not going to go into a rant about the Rings of Prime here. The the 40K universe is so wide that, you know, we were talking about what, what do we think we can make? There's a lot of rumors that, you know, he's going to make an Eisenhorn series or something like that. I mean, that's just the surface. There's so many. I, I honestly, I could say with confidence that I have absolutely no idea what they're going to make because there's so many different directions they can go. Do they want to go with space Marines? Um, do they want to tell a more, you know, gritty grounded story? Honestly, I hope that that I personally hope that there's less space Marines in it. I know they're the poster boys for the setting, but the best 40 K stories to me, we're actually going to get into this with Legion. The best 40K stories to me are usually the ones that have less space marines and more regular humans. Yeah, I think doing something centering around guardsmen or Inquisition would probably... It would turn out better just because it's easier to portray. I think also from a logistics standpoint, having to do live-action space marines would probably be a nightmare. Just because the practical effects of making them look like space marines. I mean, you're getting into what the kind of stuff they had to do for, you know, Peter Jackson was developing all these like custom rigs for scale with the hobbits. You know, I mean, if they're trying to do that on a, on a, on an Amazon show, I have to wonder how effectively it'd be pulled off. Well, yeah. And they would just try to CG it, which will look terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm, let, let's open up the floor here. I, I want to hear speculation. What what do we think? What do you, what do you guys think of this announcement? Where what direction do you think they're going to go? Let, let's let's hear it. So I would like to see, I would like to see an original character. Um, I there are a billion stories to tell in Warhammer, especially now that the um, the era Indomitus is in full swing. Um, it can go a lot of different places. If we want to roll back the clock, uh, it would be easy to talk about, to, to do an Eisenhorn series. That's what everybody is kind of leaning into. Cavill would make an awesome Eisenhorn because in the first book, he's kind of middle-aged. He's um, at the top of his game. And then he can play the role for another 30 years, potentially, because in between the first two books, there's like a 150-year time skip because of the rejuvenate treatments that Eisenhorn keeps getting. So by the end of the, or the, the uh, second Beckwin book, Eisenhorn is ancient. He's this, you know, already this impossibly old man uh, that is just kind of traversing the galaxy. What I had a crazy, well, maybe not a crazy thought, but something that I think would be awesome to see is that Caffel is, is damn near a Caiaphas Kane. He is this tall buff, black-haired, blue-eyed, you know, charismatic gentleman who he could one-handed chain sword and a las pistol, give him the red sash and the cap. The dude could be a Caiaphas Kane. We could get the Jurgen Meltagun uh, series if we if we were lucky. I, I think he could make it happen. And like I I could see the, the teaser trailer for that in my mind. It's just this this bustling kind of um uh, you know, space station where troops are like boarding transports and stuff. And the camera kind of pans across all these guardsmen lining up single file. And then you get to like this ragged soldier 
with a bunch of like pouches and kit bags all over in this this big bundle of luggage and then you just see the back of you know this black jacket and a cap and you just hear Cavill's voice say come on Jurgen we're going to be late or you know our transport's right over there or something and then cut to black and then Caiaphas Kane coming soon and holy shit it would be awesome yeah i i think that Caiaphas Kane would actually be a great starting point i think it'd actually be better than Eisenhorn because it gives you some levity the the Eisenhorn books are pretty serious uh, but the 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 Kane series i mean it definitely demonstrates the horrors of the 41st millennium uh but but you also have some levity in there to to lighten things up to kind of you know make it worth get you get a few laughs out of it i saw someone else talking about this and they said that uh nick frost would be an amazing jurgen and i am inclined to agree um if you're not familiar with nick frost he plays counter to simon Pegg in hot fuzz yeah that would that would be great yeah. I think he's he's a little heavy for the role, but if he um, if he slimmed it down, because Jurgen uh, Jurgen's always described is his uniform never fitting right because he's so skinny. Maybe like it, like it's always yeah, hanging he, off of him. There there are a few actors though that can convey that they look like they smell bad, and I think he could do that. Yeah, I I would I've been going back and forth on this idea of what suit do you put Henry Cavill in. And I keep coming back to Space Marine, though. I know that that seems like the easiest answer, and maybe it's the one that is going to cause the most technical problems. You put him as an ultramarine, and everybody believes it immediately. But the problem with the Space Marines in 40K is that they're a lot more um, mentally conditioned than they were back in 30K. They don't have quite the same sort of personality that they do back in the in the old days. And so I don't know, how, how do you get a really interesting character who isn't just psychologically conditioned to believe things a certain way? Right, so that that's kind of my argument for why we don't want Henry Cavill as Eisenhorn, because uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler. In the first book, Eisenhorn loses a bunch of nerves in his face, so he cannot emote. He's a very um, blank-faced character most of the time. He doesn't smile. He doesn't frown. It's because he doesn't have nerves in his face. So if you don't want to put a superstar like Cavill in a role where he cannot convey emotion, that's, that's just my takeaway. That's, that's what I've thought about it. Would mean any input on that guys? Yeah. I'm, I'm of the opinion that they shouldn't go with something that's more established like Eisenhorn or any of that kind of stuff. Partly because of that, but also just because it's already been told. I mean, seeing it physically would be cool, but I think, kind of like Brandon was saying, the lore is, and the canon is so vast, they could really do just about anything. Kind of to Manipul's point, um, where the 40k Space Marines are a bit more conditioned than the 30k counterparts, there are a lot of like sub-chapters, like the Spears of the Emperor book. The Space Marines that exist there are very different from like, say, the Ultramarines. Of course, they're going to be Ultramarines if GW has anything to say about it. But <laughs> Yeah, there were a few books I was thinking about that would could be adapted or adapted in a similar fashion. Do you remember the book, was it um, Silver Snakes? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Brothers, Brothers, of, of Brothers of the Snake, snake. is an Brothers of the Snake. Yeah. And it starts off with just this kind of random... Uh, encounter of a space marine on this world of some weird thing that happened with some dark Eldar. 
And then there's a few other scenes that kind of play out. And then at the end, you realize, holy crap, they're all connected. And then it, it has this nice finish at the end. What it got me thinking about was a Warhammer book about the white, the, um, the white wolves who were the, the Knights of, uh, they're not the Knights of Sigmar. They're the Knights of the wolf. Ulrich. Ulrich. Ulrich, the Knights of Ulrich. And it's a similar story where they start with a few different events that are happening and you don't think the stories are connected, but by the end of the book, they are. That really to me feels like they were writing those stories as a way to show what would this look like as a TV series or like the Gotrick and Felix novels. They don't all start off as connected stories, but, but, but after you've read a bunch of them, you're like, oh, this is part of a whole story, a whole world of things that are happening. And like Nagash is involved. It's like, wait, hold on a second. And it all starts to kind of make, it all pulls together at the end. I would love to see a 40K series that had a couple of disparate, different stories that happened. And by the end of 13 episodes, it all comes together. That would be great. I would love to see that. Yeah. Um, I I kind of look at as well. I First off, I think that the most important thing to do here is start small. Um, prove that this can be done. And I absolutely believe it can be. Um, I am 100% in the camp that you you can do that. But, you know, I would hate to see the same, you know, since it's Henry Cavill, I'd hate to see the same repeat of the DCEU happen again, where they just tried to ramp it up to compete with Marvel too fast. Uh, so, and, you know, talk about going off, you know, off the established canon already. Um. Uh, you know, I think everybody here has at least at one point had Warhammer Plus. And Warhammer Plus opened with Angels of Death as their first animation, which was great. I love Angels of Death. Awesome show. Now, they they fell off a cliff after that, uh, which we can talk about in another episode. That might be a good topic for next roundtable. Um, but it, it was completely new story but it was a very small contained thing it was a squad of blood angels fighting through a hive um really simple but the story worked and it worked really well um so i think honestly i think that the best way to go is to go off of a not go with a written book already try something completely new and keep it contained for now right and the same thing when i last time i watched the Judge Dredd movie, I thought, what a great way to introduce people to this Judge Dredd universe. It's just about these two characters on a drug bust. And it it goes completely off the freaking rails. But what a great story about this little interaction between these two judges and the horrible things they have to face and the way they talk and get to know each other and then how, how they come out at the end. That was great. And I would love to see something in 40K where it just starts small. And just had these little glimpses of these amazing things happening in the background. What I've thought about for a long time, I was visiting a man in the nursing home many years ago. He had no possessions left by that time. He lived just in this little room in the nursing home. He had a blanket and a sheet, and that was about it. But on the wall above his bed, there was a picture of a landing craft from World War II that was shot full of bullet holes on some beach in front of a huge cliff. 
It was the most amazing picture I had ever seen. And I, cause I realized that th- that's where this guy had served. He had served on some landing craft in some far-flung war zone in World War II. And that told a whole story about this guy's life. By the time I knew him, he couldn't even talk. He couldn't tell a story. But I saw that picture and I thought, there's something amazing that happened there. I would love to see that as a 40K story where just in, you, you see a little hint of something. You're like, oh, wow, this, there's, there's something much, much bigger behind the scenes. And then in the next season, then you can open it up and, and go from there. Yeah, um, that like it, it's really important to, to emphasize that you don't have to start big. Like you don't have to go, um, you know, all the Black Templars are at war, you know, with the next big wall across the galaxy. It doesn't need to be galaxy spanning. You can literally start with a couple of... Um, Arbides are on a drug bust, like you said. It's very much the Judge Judge Shred story where, um, or maybe even a couple of guardsmen in a trench are fighting renegades when they find out they're not just renegades, they're they're, uh, chaos cultists that are being backed by these um, uh, chaos space marines, very much like um, is happening in the era in Dominus. It's it's very scary and it can be very simple. It doesn't need to be super complex. It doesn't need to have a thousand moving pieces. You don't want to have to read 10 books and which let's see the Eisenhorn series is at eight books now. Uh, no, sorry, nine books. Now you don't need to read nine books to get in on, in on this story. Just start small, make it very palatable to, you know, a few people or to, to most people just, you know, with very human elements. And I think that's what, um, that's why I like Dan Abnett so much is because he makes it very digestible. He makes a very human element to like, how would a person feel in this situation? And that's really what it needs to be. Yeah. I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. If we look at, uh, again, you know, talking about Warhammer cinematic universe. So I'm going to look, I'm going to look at the success case here, which is the Marvel cinematic universe. Everybody remember how the Marvel Universe started? It started with Iron Man. Now, I can tell you that I had never picked up a Marvel comic in my entire life. I, you know, I was always more of a DC guy, but I, in general, just wasn't a comic guy. I liked Iron Man as a movie. That's what got me in. So we started with Iron Man, and then we kept moving to to other things beyond that but that's the point is we i we need to hook people who are not just into 40k because the show is never going to be successful that way start with something that everybody can get into and likes and it's crazy how in just like the past week and a half or basically just a week so far how big warhammer has blown up across social media because before this announcement, people weren't talking about Warhammer in the same way. It's like, um, you know, there are a bunch of uh, uh, people that I follow on YouTube that don't talk about Warhammer, that were talking about Warhammer this week because it was in the news because of Henry Cavill. It's it's really amazing to see how, you know, this is starting to flow into the mainstream. This is starting to become a part of Western myth. It's really interesting. And really that's because... You know, Marvel in DC have failed so spectacularly. Marvel in DC, they were they were culturally uh, um, keystones to Western culture for so long, but they've been they've been so um, 
market-based or corporatized, however you want to say it, you know, they're, they're trying to market to more and more and more and more people. It's just getting watered down. But if you keep this kind of distilled essence of Warhammer and you put it out into the world, people are going to come to it. You know, it's, it's not like water from the tap. It's more like a bottle of wine. And that's really what we should be looking for right now. Yeah. Big time agree. Um, I think we can go ahead and wrap this segment up though. Um, and I'll say with this of, you know, I, I'm excited. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. That's the only safe way these days. It's I'm going to give this. A ch- I'll I'll tell you what. I'll I'll do the um, the usual um, cautiously optimistic. I'll give it three episodes. And if I'm not hooked at three episodes, then I have to be done. Yeah. One thing that I they have going for them, um, and I feel like this is this is an important thing to state is uh, they have Henry Cavill. You know, um, that's, that's so working in your favor. If we look at like rings of prime, one of the biggest critiques I saw from mainstream folks was there's no stars in this. Like, who are these people? Why should Benjamin I care? Stark. Benjamin Stark was there and then he left. <laughs> he was in it for one season and then he fucked off because he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Yeah. Well, here's my point. When you look at their competitor, house of the dragon, I was never that big of a game of Thrones guy. I can tell you that I was really interested in Matt Smith. So when I saw, oh, Matt Smith is in this, I'll give it a shot. I got hooked. I got It was a great show. So here's great my show. point. You guys are going to have people look and say, oh, Henry Cavill's in this. I will give it a watch. Don't waste that opportunity. Who would Matt Smith play in 40K? I don't know. There's plenty of weird people so there, there's space for him. Good question. Well, we all to we ought to think about that, didn't we? Yeah, that's. We'll see Ravner in the chair. Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. that'd be. Funny. I think he could do Ravner pretty well. He's got the voice. Okay, so I'm glad that you um, I'm glad that you guys kept bringing up canon, and uh, consi- Well, basically, what we're talking about is consistently kind of in my mind anyway. But our next segment is going to be um. Canon matters, or what is canon? Why is canon important? What what does canon mean to each of us? And Maple, I want to bring you in on this one first because canon, as I understand it, the definition, the origin of it is based in Greek, and it basically means um, it's derived from a Greek meaning of rule, order, law, basically structure, more or less. So, why does canon matter in storytelling? And I yeah. think that's super important in Warhammer. So, Maniple, take it away. Yep. All those words you used are right. I think the best word for it is list. So it's a list of things. And when you start listing things, you begin to define what you're talking about. And in any sci-fi, or well, any kind of universe at all, but particularly the, the sci-fi universes, you got to have some established canon. And when I was kind of first getting started in, in sorting out the lore of 40 K I'd be online looking at these, all these different um, boards and things looking for what was the actual real story behind things like the Horus heresy or the foundation of the legions or anything else. And there were a lot of these various documents floating around called like the um, GW fluff Bible. And I don't know how much the, original writers got into actually 
canonizing what actually happened. Because if there's one thing that is consistent in all Warhammer lore, whether it's 40K, Old World, Sigmar, is there's a lot of holes. And there's a lot of place there for people to put in their own ideas, their own stories. But there were some pretty significant issues that they were focused on. And I guess I'd look at something like the evolution of the Tau. There was a lot of controversy when the Tau came out about how this world, how this race is going to fit into the 40K canon, because it didn't seem like anything else. But I read some, read some interviews and some articles about how they come up with this. And they said that Warhammer has always tried to tap into the zeitgeist of things that are happening right now. And the original idea around the, the 40K universe was looking at modern politics and showing the, the, the largest version of that. Or in Warhammer, looking at this idea of what people thought medieval Europe looked like and taking it to some ridiculous extent. With the Tau, they're looking at this advent of technology in our culture and saying, well, what if you had a, a, a race in 40K that was only based on these kind of technological issues? Now let's build a whole race out of that. And so the Tau, on the one hand, look like this race that is promising this bright, wonderful future where everyone is going to be able to communicate get along and work together and love. But underneath it all, it's this horrible fascist dictatorship that's actually there just to control you. And so that all becomes part of the canon. So you have to look at this. Yeah. Let, let's just call them what they are. They're space communists space and they communists. deserve to be destroyed. Yeah. Right. And so if we look at how canon exists in the 40 K universe, it is one thing that GW gets a lot of criticism over that they don't allow anyone else to use their intellectual property, their, their IP. And if you look at their year-end reports to the investors, they'll often repeat that mantra, that we protect our IP. It is the most sacred thing, because if they lose control of that, they lose control of everything. So that's why they'll send out cease and desist letters to people to say, stop making content that's based on our IP because they know they have to protect that. And even though it might be an unpopular position, it has allowed them to maintain complete control over where this universe goes and keep a certain amount of purity in what they can and cannot talk about where the story goes and where it's been. So that canon is found in the, all of their published material, their codexes, and their models. And only the stuff that they have published is considered official. So the the, the reason I wanted to bring this up, I think, or, or the reason I think this is a good subject to be on is because between, as we'll see later on in more of the Horus Heresy books, um, it is really tricky to pin down what is canon in some of them, in some of them. Like, um, Maniple, one of the books that I, I already talked to you about coming on for, uh, Nemesis, there's a scene where a psychic blank is bonded to a demon which the way i understand it a psychic blank repels demons and that that kind of thing can't really happen yeah and they have been known to retcon certain things for the sake of a story right if you go back, so it, yeah go if you go back and look at the old rogue trader book there's a lot of things in there that no longer exist or have changed since then 
it it can just be it can be very frustrating to pin down what uh, Black Library that is Games Workshop's publishing company what Black Library deems canon year to year book to book whatever so it's really important to talk about like just the the core basics like how does Power Armor book um, how do bolters work how do las guns work. Um, what happens when um, Necrons meet Priests of Mars? We it's... don't even know how las guns work. That's debated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, bolters uh, are rocket-propelled grenades. That's about all we know. Las guns, space magic. Who the fuck knows? So, um, questions for the guys. Um, what? What are some things? What are some discrepancies? I think that that you have noticed, or like I, I've already talked about one, like um, how how blanks work, how uh, anti psychers work. Basically, what are some discrepancies that you think maybe need to be kind of boxed in a little bit, so to speak? Well, I don't know if they need to be boxed in. I think Black Library and GW specifically leave a lot of that stuff vague. Because once you define it and lock it in as some sort of canon, then it can't be changed. Um, I think they put a line in, I think it was Lost in the Damned, one of the really old books, uh, where they kind of mentioned like, oh, by the way, everything that's written in this book was penned by, you know, some scribe. And, you know, maybe he slipped a little, was hitting the gin a little too hard. And is everything in this book true? We don't know, kind of thing. Um, and yeah, speaking to like retcons, you know, you guys are reading Legion for the next book. Did you guys pick up on the fact that the Alpha Legion wear purple armor in that? That's oh, yeah. the old armor color. Yeah, they they yeah. changed that in 2012. Yeah, so there's um, the 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 head cannon or the kind of um, um, kind of just just all. Uh, takeaway that I got from that was that there is no solid intel on what the armor color of Alpha Legion actually is. So that's why you see some purple, some blue, some kind of like um, more metallic or more kind of um, uh, opal- opalescent. I don't know what the word, word would be, but um, yeah. there's no solid intel on what Alpha Legion armor color actually is. Well, and the reason why that little bit of canon exists is in 2012, Forge World wanted to change the color. So they put that in the black book to say, oh, uh, yeah, Alpha Legion have purple armor. They also have blue armor because of this reason. But that was not the case back when Legion was written. They were purple armor and only purple armor. (laughs) So you kind of see that in GW. They leave things vague so they can do what they want with it a lot. How do las guns work? Doesn't matter. They work. That's all that matters. So we can do whatever we want with it. So you can have... uh, like there was one book where they were just like, oh, hey, you know, if you overheat a power pack, it can turn into a grenade because they haven't defined las guns. Of course it can do that because we want to do that. And that's why they leave a lot of that stuff open. So so that all makes sense in the in the very vague realm of things. Yeah, and I got to be honest, that's kind of what I love about this setting is that there's room to do your own thing. Um uh, you know, if if you look at something, you know, I talk a lot about playing Middler's strategy battle game on this. Um, I I always paint my Middle Earth characters to look like the films, 
And if they're not in the films, I look up, uh, you know, if, if it's a character that's not in the films, I look him up in the book and try to make it as accurate to the book as possible. Um, and, and that's part of what kind of holds my hobby down of like, I never feel good about, oh, I just didn't make this look as good as it could have, like it was done there. It's one of the things I love about 40K, 30K is there's enough room to do what I want. You know, is my, you know, some of my dark angels are wearing parts of green armor because they're from Caliban. There's space to do that. Um, so while I, while I agree that, you know, canon is an important to an extent, I think that they've done, they've done a good job of, of striking the line of there, there's room to innovate yourself um, and, and do what you want to do and make this your own hobby and have fun with it. And if anybody wants to tell you that you're doing it wrong, they're just incorrect. That was one of my big concerns getting into heresy uh, initially was I was told it played like a historical game where if you didn't have your guys, if you didn't have your Legion in the mark that they were known to wear, like people wouldn't play you and stuff like that. Now I found that not to be the case at all, but that was one of the things that held me out for a long time. Yeah, I think they do a really good job of providing the framework for you to play within. For me, it's kind of like when you buy a new role-playing book, it'll usually have some sample characters in the back or in the first adventure. I have never used those. Have you guys ever done that? I always make my own guy. And what 40K lets you do, or 30K, is make your own characters and make your own force, make your own guys. But because you know how much fluff and how much story is out there, you know exactly where they fit. So it's like there's a missing puzzle piece and you've got it. And you can put that puzzle piece in there and say, now I've completed the picture. These were the guys that did the boarding action on this ship that the changed the whole fleet action on this battle that was happening over here in Alpha Sigma you know, 3 that was so important to the Horus Heresy or whatever. And it, but but because the story exists in a large framework that is solid, you still have room to play inside of that. It's, and that's the best part of this IP. Okay, yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of. So we we've already kind of established that you know the the rule uh the, the rules do matter but the the writing has allowed for basically player discrepancy right so that's that's really fun for us and i know that comes into play D- like yeah player discretion right yeah d- discretion sorry um we do see that a lot in so the bulk of the lore in 40k is that um you will get a lot of successor chapters that maybe don't know um, have a clear definition of where they're from, but they just think they're ultramarines. And that kind of wraps into um, they might be one of the Lost Legions. So that's why you see uh, frequently see ultramarines going off script, so to speak. So it, I, I feel like it all kind of wraps up into... It, it can seem very messy at a glance, but it all does kind of wrap up into a neat little bow sometimes. Uh, you, you see that in 30K as well with the Black Shields. You know, where we're at in the books, we haven't gotten into the Black Shields yet, but it there's lots of, of units that are just cobbled together armor, you know, especially like the Shattered Legions, um, a lot of stuff in there. I I think that, uh, like, we, like we said, there, there, there's room 
to do your own thing. Now, if you try to come out and be like, this is my captain I made. He personally beheaded Horace. I'm going to be like, um, well, sure, but was that Horace? That was probably just some warp spawn. Didn't one of you guys have an experience in an RPG where one of the characters had killed a space brain single-handed or something? I don't want to call anybody out, but... Yeah, so uh, Paul and I, we, we did a, uh, a RPG session where we did like a Death Watch uh, or an Ordo Xenos type thing. Um, and I was a uh, I was playing a Space Marine chaplain, uh, but the, the other gentleman who was playing with us wanted to um, he wanted to play like a veteran guardsman. Um, and we were like, okay, well, how did you get picked up by the Inquisition, you know, as part of your backstory? And he goes, oh, well, I single-handedly killed a Chaos Lord. We're like, uh, we're going to have to tone that back because you would have been made a living saint if you had done that. So so where have you guys gotten inspiration for making your own legions or your own armies? Is it usually from the books, or is it you just have an inspiration you come up with? So... I think what really inspired me with my Space Marine chapter from 40K is that um, a little bit about myself. I'm I'm Catholic, and I really like um, kind of talking about or learning about the different saints that we have. And so I wanted this um, I wanted this kind of pantheon, so or this chapter, I guess, that worshipped the different Primarchs as more of a pantheon than just like, this is our Primarch, this is who we like, this is who we pray to. I kind of wanted these guys that didn't really know where they were from, like, we don't know who our dad is, so we're kind of going to venerate all of these guys because, you know, they've they've all got very distinct traits that are venerable or, or worth admiring or worth it's aspiring to. So this is kind of how we approach uh, our our kind of cult chapter culture, so to speak, and I think it's um, it's kind of reflective of you could also just roll it into um, maybe these guys are an ultramarine spinoff because uh, the ultramarines were so flexible or they kind of you know they knew uh, you know kind of where to go, what to look for, uh, what kind of traits to lean in, lead in or lean into, so to speak. So that's kind of where I get my um, my 40k hellhammers. That's what I call my, my chapter. Um, that's kind of what their uh, their premise would be, so to speak. Um, that's and that's that's kind of how I try to make it my own canon, really. Yeah, and once I knew we were playing 30k, we had kind of had a conversation about where was our if we were going to have all fight together, where was it going to be based at? And I think um, Brandon, you had talked about it being in the, the in the uh, Imperium Secundus. So that meant that if I was going to be playing Alpha Legion, well, they're going to be kind of on a long patrol behind enemy lions doing stuff. So their armor might be a little more beaten up or they might have different marks and things they're trying to put together. So that colored how I was converting and putting my models together once I figured out what the setting was. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing that that I did with mine. Now, I I, uh, I ended up theming a little bit later in the Heresy. I went more towards like a scouring of Caliban type thing for, for my Dark Angels. Um, but the, the same idea, I mean, it could be Imperium Secundus in the sense of they've been cut off from their main supply lines for the longest time. And that's why they're, they're looking real grungy and, you know, having to recycle some some stuff like that, you know, but... 
that Mark six armor, even though, you know, we're the first Legion, we got a lot of it. It's not looking so pristine anymore. Yeah. So I'm always the guy that thinks of lore last. I've, I've always been more of a hobbyist first. So when it comes to anything I'm doing, it just has to be, did I think of a cool paint scheme for that army? That's why I have that army. Uh, and then it usually will come into, I'll start playing and then people will be like, Oh, well what chapter and what lore and what this? And I'll be like, Oh, this is my captain, generic generics, and captain of the generic Marines. You, do you like my paint scheme? They looks really good, right? <laughs> and people will be like, oh, uh, yeah, she looks great, man. <laughs> so that's usually where I end up. Uh, the lore is the thing that always trips me up. <laughs> well, I actually, I think you picked the perfect Legion for that, though, in the Sons of Horus, because they were kind of everywhere, uh, yeah. <laughs> working with everybody, you know, kind of deep into the heresy. So, you know, originally you had talked about doing world eaters and that is what, you know, talking to everybody, that's what had given me the idea for Imperium Secundus. And then you said, Oh, I'm going to do sons of Horus. And I was like, well, our Imperium Secundus theme still works. So we, we it, should have know, a little exercise where we all start a story about Paul's uh, legion and then hand it off to Brandon for the next chapter, and then Fruit, you finish it off, and then you'll have the backstory you want. There we go. Crowd that actually sounds it. like a lot of fun. <laughs> that that could be like a fun. Um, we could do like a dramatized reading for our, our uh, another roundtable. Oh, uh, that could be that could be a good time. All right. Well, I think that I think we've kind of had a good conversation. So, uh, to kind of wrap it up, I mean, overall, does canon matter? I say yes. I think everyone here is in agreement, right? I mean, uh, yeah. canon canon matters, and 40k makes it work. It doesn't always seem like it. It it can seem like there are a lot of holes, but it's basically so that players have freedom, right? Yeah, it matters, but it's not a set of handcuffs. I think too that there should be a distinction made between something like Warhammer, which is designed to be interacted with and created by individuals and players as opposed to something like books or television media um, where the canon there is going to be a bit tighter because what they're producing is less player interactive driven than they would say tabletop games or video games which i think is also why having those loose tolerances on a lot of the definitions of things for this works where in like a tv show that wouldn't be as usable. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I will go back to my canon breaking prime example, the rings of prime. Again, they tried to do something completely different, but the problem is, is that they had a book sitting there showing, no, this character actually did this. And this is written by the actual author. I saw, and I, I think I shared it with all of you guys. There was a, a entry in one of the new, middle earth rpg kits that said there is no tolkien canon which i thought was just the dumbest thing i had ever read in my entire life yeah shut the fuck up you don't know what you're talking about if you're writing something like that and you're saying that canon doesn't matter in tolkien just just you should not be here this is not for you it's this is not your forte so to speak it's like oh I don't even know. Yeah, but I, I think the, the important part of this conversation is, as Manipul said, these are not handcuffs. 
Um, this is to give you a framework to work within, not to hold you down and make make this hobby miserable for you. That, that I mean, that's not what any of us here want. Everybody wants, we want people to be able to enjoy their hobby. Um, the canon, it, it, it's more like, you know, some guide rails rather than hard and fast rules in this particular setting. Well, thanks for entertaining me on this one. I know we were kind of... Um... Not really sure how this one would go at first, but you guys have kind of brought me around on a few things. So thanks for uh, engaging me on this one. And I am uh, happy to maybe come up with something else that'll entertain us for the next one. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. Um, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode here. We're starting to get a little bit long in the tooth. Um, thanks again to Paul and Manipal for joining us uh, on this roundtable. Always a pleasure to have you guys. Thanks for having um, us. Great time. Yeah, always good to be on. Yeah, and uh, Paul, we'll look. We're looking forward to having you back for Legion. Uh, I, I did have a good chuckle that uh, we have an Alpha Legion player in this group who will not be joining us for that Legion review. <laughs> uh, but that's uh, hey, Manipul, you picked your book that you wanted to be a part of. Everybody picked their book, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll have a good conversation about that one. We're looking forward to it. Um, and also, I do want to say to all of our listeners, Merry Christmas. We don't say Happy Holidays here because we're not PC. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And if you don't, if you don't celebrate Christmas, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll okay, go ahead and everybody. wrap it up here. Yeah. Go ahead and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter um, if you'd like. It's at uh, LegionCast18. Apparently, don't follow us on Instagram since we don't use it. I wouldn't know. I yeah, don't use any of them. It's a TikTok app. I, I don't want a TikTok. I, I want to sometimes retweet stuff that I find interesting. Um, I don't feel the need to make reels about the hot. I, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. That's why I'm not doing it. Yeah, well, you know who else really enjoys TikTok? Communists? The Chinese government. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so go ahead and tweet at us. Shoot us an email if you'd like, legioncast18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here, but uh, have a good night. Good night.